Welcome to the PRISM Podcast. PRISM North America is a K-12 school system committed to building a sanctuary for children and families in North America. PRISM is a Northgate school, and this is our podcast. Welcome to the PRISM Podcast. My name is Misty Newcomb. I'm the superintendent of PRISM North America, and this is our podcast. We are kicking off this school year with a parent book study. We're calling it the Great PRISM North America Read-Along. Across all of our campuses and households, we're reading the book Shepherding a Child's Heart. Every week we meet on here and discuss a different section in the book. I'm so excited today to have two special guests on here who are going to share with us how they're applying some of these concepts in their home. We have Christy Spillmaker. Hi, everyone. And Sierra Rose. Hello, hello. Why don't you introduce us to your family and and to your connection to PRISM? Christy, why don't you start? Hi, everyone. I am a wife, a mom, and a professional. I've been a PRISM mom since 2012. We have two kids who have graduated from the PRISM North America system, and we have one who's still there, and she is currently a junior. Perfect. Sierra, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, I am married to Jonathan and we have two daughters. One is named Evelyn and she is six years old and she's currently at PRISM North America at the Fayetteville campus and she's in first grade. And then we actually just had little Charlotte who is um, four months old right now and I'm very happy to be here today. Yeah. So Christy, you kind of have, you're representing all of the moms on who have older kids and Sierra, you're representing all the moms who have younger kids. So heavy weight to bear today. Um, you are solely representing these people. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but all right. So this section, we looked at two chapters last week and it talked about goals and the goals we have for our kids. And really, it's a conversation about what's driving those those goals. I think it's a really important topic because the goals we set for our children and for our families and for ourselves, they become like this endpoint that that you're working towards and that all of your decisions actually end up falling under. And I think it's really important because I think sometimes those goals are set unconsciously and they just kind of drift in and we just have these unspoken goals for ourselves, for our kids, for our family. And those are driving a lot of things. And at certain points in your life, you realize either because you're disappointed that you didn't meet those goals or because those goals are creating tension in your home with your other value systems, then that's where you realize, okay, I think I need to evaluate our goals. I think one of the great things about this book is that we start with philosophy and it allows us to evaluate those goals uh, that we have for kids first and evaluate our own philosophy first. And then we jump into tools because the tools we use for parenting really should stem from a philosophy. And so this is kind of the last section of the book that really goes hardcore into philosophy. So um, let's just talk a little bit about that. What was the impact of this first of this section for you guys? What did you take out of it generally? I think the big thing that I took out of it was just this whole section deals with the motivation of a parent. Like it wasn't even I know that we're talking about how we want to interact with our kids, but but it it kind of gives you a framework for when a situation comes up or you're interacting with your kid, it's like, what is the motivation of my interaction with them? What am I trying to accomplish? And so really for me, it was a big part of evaluating like 
well, you know, I could talk about a situation, but um, I think what, how am I responding to my kid in a way that allows them to have the ultimate end purpose, which is relationship with God to glorify right. him. Sierra, what about you? What did you take from this? I think just really understanding, like Chrissy said, the motivation behind why I'm parenting like I am, instead of it being subconscious or not intentional. And to sit there and evaluate that, am I pulling this situation into my long-term goal? So it kind of made me rethink behind the scenes of um, just the values of our life. When prison first started, we did a big like four week parenting session. And one of the things that we started with is, is it okay to set happiness as a goal for your child? Because a lot of times, you know, everything stems from this and this idea of where are we going with our kids and what are we trying to produce? What is the ultimate goal of parenting with our kids? And so a lot of times when we talk to people, about coming into the school or at parent teacher conferences, we would say, what do you want for your child? And a lot of people say, you know, I want a happy child. I want them to graduate. I want them to be happy. I want them to feel a lot a sense of self-worth. And those are not bad. You know, it's not like, oh no, we want your kid to be broken. <laughs> yeah. Broken, miserable, and unhappy. Uh, obviously that's not what we want for anyone's kids, including our own. At the same time, if that's where you set your goals, what if your child's happiness comes at the cost of someone else mm-hmm. and their happiness? Mm-hmm. What if, um, you know, a sense of self-worth, do you really want a sense of self-worth? Do you want your child to always feel like their val- their views, their ideas, their preferences are the thing that matters the most because they have such a strong sense of self-worth? What we want is an accurate sense of self. Mm-hmm. What we want is a child who, uh, you know, as believers, we want a child who loves the Lord and lives their life unto him. We want people who are growing towards maturity. We Mm -hmm. want people, you know, we want what you really want in is a child who has a a values and an ethic system. You know, there's several, several ways of saying the same thing, but really happiness is a byproduct of those things. Mm -hmm. Because if you're living a life of service to others, and even that you have to watch, you are going to be happy in the long run as a byproduct of that. But if you aim towards happiness solely, you will not be happy and no one around you will. (laughs) It's like if you can anchor into identity and that's, that's a big part of what we're talking about when we're setting goals, we're giving our kids an identity. And if you can anchor into that, then it makes, it makes joy or happiness or fulfillment, not circumstantial. Yes. Wrong goals means we're trying to manage a circumstance or an outcome. And, you know, like we're trying to manage what's happening around them Mm -hmm. instead of saying this is who you are and this is how, you know, a spielmaker or a whoever, this is how we engage life as, you know, a member of this family. And, and then, and then your identity, your, your fulfillment, your contentment, it, it, it comes out of that and not out of the circumstance or the situation that you're in. You know, we were, Josh and I were talking and it's like, it's like, you know, we've had kids go through seasons where they, they felt not seen, quote unquote, you know, I'm doing quotes here. You can't see it, like not seen by their friends or not seen by maybe a teacher. And when we interacted with them, like my first instinct as a mom is to be like, oh, I want my kid to be seen and I want them to feel loved. Like I want them to be liked by their friends. 
And that's what I was talking about earlier, where you have to evaluate that and say, is that a right motivation? Like, do I want to interact with my kid right now so that they will be liked? That doesn't seem productive because I also work in a professional environment where everyone doesn't like you. I don't want them to go into life feeling like everyone has to like them. So then I interact with that situation by here's how you frame up feeling not seen. Sometimes we go through seasons of life where that is the case, but you have a family context, you have a church community context, you have, you have a relationship with God context. And these are the areas where you, you are seen or God does interact with you. You don't have to be identified by what's happening in this circumstance right this minute. And, um, and how to get beyond that, because I feel like that's giving them tools to function later in life. I think you're teaching your kids when you, what you just described, you're teaching your kids how to engage in life from a spiritual perspective and not just be driven by the circumstances around them or by their own desired outcome, but how to navigate. You're, you're actually giving them the tools to navigate life, not just say, this is what you want, go here, but here's how you build. And I think that's a really, that, that is a powerful thing we can give our kids as parents. So he talks about, he has a, uh, you know, he gives several examples of things that parents should check the desire for special skills. And, you know, as a, as a family, this is definitely something that we've interacted with. Um, we have some kids that have, you know, really had things they love, whether it be music or athletics or even academics. And we've had to really engage that very specifically, we felt we have felt like um, psychological or adjustment or happiness. And we just sort of talked about that. Um, you know, it's it's not uncommon in Christian families for people to just want a good family that has structured family worship times and has, you know, meetings at night. And I remember having friends who had that at night and my family was never every time they tried to pull that off. It was like, uh, we'll do this for two nights and then it's over. So we would like do Bible study (laughs) for, you know, and then it would just, it just never, never really took. And, uh, and I think that's okay. I don't think that's, um, but we did have a lot of spiritual conversations, um, at our, at our home. And I feel like our parents did a good job of, of teaching us how to integrate spirituality into the day-to-day life. And so that would be a big, a big thing. Well-behaved children. And I do feel like this is a big thing that people really have to, you know, engage with, uh, having a great education. And obviously we're a school and we want our kids to be well-educated, but should that be the sole driver of life? And, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of people who really struggle with this, this sense of, you know, this should be the, the big high point, uh, of a kid's life. And even I do, um, I always think I'm torn because here I am a principal or superintendent of a school. My kids should be doing well at school. And it's like, well, I mean, should they be 4.0 students or should they be diligent? And that's the that's the question he brings up. Like, what what are you actually after in there? And then control. And I think that that's a great one. And I kind of think that goes along with well-behaved kids. No one wants to be embarrassed at the grocery store. No one wants their kid to be wild. Everybody wants their kids, you know, to be able to have a conversation with adults. These are not in and of themselves terrible life goals or, or things to have. But if they're coming from this place of control where I, I want my kid to be a certain way or act a certain way or achieve certain accomplishments because I want to be, I, I feel security from being able to control. Well, let me just tell you, you're in for some upheaval. <laughs> True. True. Uh, you're in for some upheaval. It may last for a while, but 
even even when kids are young, it's it's not that great. So how do we how do we go about? You know, you, we've talked about our what what our goals should be and how those are developed and how we need to examine our goals. I want to talk a little bit. I want to go a little bit more into detail about how we examine and how we evaluate our personal goals. Cause I think it's one thing to say, yes, we shouldn't just be going for happiness. Um, or yes, we shouldn't just be trying to control our kids and have them be well behaved. It's a whole other thing to evaluate how we're doing that and, and what that experience is like. So Sierra, why don't you just share with us so, uh, some experiences you've had as a mom, um, and where you've had to evaluate your goals and change them? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's kind of like we discussed earlier when it's not like my goal was to go in and think, okay, I'm going to really strive to have the most well-mannered child or the most obedient child. But um, as I started progressing through motherhood with our first child, I quickly realized she's got a very outgoing personality, pretty loud, and she likes to um, not be too boxed in. And so uh, (laughs) I, yeah, it was definitely one of those times where it was subconscious, where I started building this box around her to contain her behavior. And it was more often than not, I was telling her, no, don't do that. Don't do this. You know, constantly redirecting her. And it was out of this place when I stopped and took a deep breath of people pleasing, um, feeling like things were out of control, that I looked like I didn't have control over my child. And when I stopped and evaluated that, it's like, that's not actually how God interacts with me. And that's not actually part of the end goal of raising a child that wants to seek after God like that. And um, so just really recognizing, as Mr. Tripp uh, said in the book, this is not a very noble goal is to try to (laughs) praise well-mannered children that you tried to control because it's literally like punching the air because that's just not how they're going to interact with life. And that's part of their discovery process. And so um, I had several instances through life where it would be a more adult focused event and I would be bringing my child children more welcome and I would go, great. Yeah, I'm really excited to bring my family to this event. And as soon as I walked in the door to that event, I felt hyper aware of my child's in, I'm doing air quotes, incorrect behavior, like not looking someone in the eye when they're talking. And I'm talking, this started around 18 months for me, where I just was like, my expectations versus um, what was really going to be happening was vastly different. And it just set the whole environment up for her and for me to feel experience a lot of anxiety. And I actually felt like in those environments, I would have an alter ego nearly of just like locked down, controlling mom, like couldn't let loose. And I thought, this is a symptom of non non kingdom value inside of me. And so, yes, I think it's absolutely something that I kind of felt in a way this is extreme but assaulted by because I didn't understand what was happening inside of me until I went to the core and said, "Oh, I care this value about my kid being perceived a certain way I care more about than the actual long-term goal of um, providing an on-ramp for her to understand God's love and mercy and how to interact with other people, um, especially adults in particular. I think that's such a great 
process. And I'm so grateful you shared it, Sierra, because I, I think it really shows a level of introspection that you have as a parent that I, I think is uncommon. And, and so I'm really grateful you shared it because it's, are we supposed to teach our kids to look other people in the eye when they have conversations? Yes, that's important. That's important. Like that's a skill that we need to train them. But what you're saying is it's not that those skills aren't things that need to be trained, but it was this motivation in you was creating a completely different Sierra Yes. <laughs> then. And that's really, and it's the motivation was where it was off. That's and, right. and it's interesting because those subconscious motivations, those things that you can't see that people can't, it's, it's, it's abstract. It's not concrete. You can't, people can't look and measure and say that in the same way you can look and measure good behavior. Those things are so subtle, but they're so powerful in how we interface with our kids. And that teaches them things and they feel things and they experience things in a way that we really don't want. And so we've got to go deal with ourselves and our own motivations. And even a noble goal of, I want my children to be well-behaved and to, you know, interact with people appropriately. Like that is a noble goal, but if it's coming from a place of control or it's coming from a place of people pleasing and, uh, you know, fearing other people and what they think about you, then it's going to produce something unhealthy in her and in you. And so I think that's a wonderful thing um, that you, that you discovered and that you, you learned, and I'm sure you still teach Evie how to look people in the eye. Yeah. It's not like you throw out everything, but you, you do it from a different place. And I think that that's really great. A a wonderful, wonderful example. And probably something that people with young children can definitely relate to. I was just thinking like when I listen to Sierra's story and I think back to, you know, raising young ones, like if you have the the goal of just a well-behaved child, there's this expectation inside of you that it happens instantly instead of like, if you, if you come back and you scan your motivation and you say, I'm trying to build and develop a child that will produce well behaved, you know, good behavior, but you give yourself and that child grace for the process of development instead of this kind of like, you did good, you did bad. Like, it's like, Mm -hmm. well, there's a, there's stages of the journey of development. And it's like, you, by saying, hey, what I want to build is, you know, a kid who knows how to obey and how to, you know, meet, I, I you know, yeah. you just give grace for the process. And, you know, on the flip side of that, I think it sounds like Sierra was in a place where obedience and well-behaved kids, you know, that was probably something that was valued. I raised my kids when they were very, very young in a different context where like freedom of expression and free flow and letting your kid, you know, discover life for themselves was a value. And I kind of felt the same thing that Sierra is describing, but on the opposite end, I felt consistently conflicted about putting boundaries on my child because I felt like that was not socially acceptable in the circles that I was running in. And I have some like really comical stories, you know, i that I won't bore everyone with, but they are, I I had just some funny experiences where I finally had to say, you know what? I don't care what these people think there is. And I don't care what they're saying. That world philosophy, that, you know, this, this paradigm is not something that I think lines up with our actual biblical values. I need to teach them 
who they are. They need to get that from me. And I don't need to be just leaving that out there ambiguous for them to go and find because I'm their mom. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm their parent and Clay's their dad. And our job at this season of life is to build a strong, healthy identity or else someone else and something else will. And so I don't need to just let them go explore that at age three, four, five. I need to help them and I need to impart that to them. You're a newcomer. Christy, do you have any examples on how you're applying this with older kids? Yeah, I I think we have a a scenario where we have a a kid in college right now and and you know, truthfully, they just really hate it. They they don't love the college experience, they don't love being there, they don't love the classes. And um, you know, our conversation with him is around what has God said to you? What does obedience look like? And, and go do that. And it, the conversation is not at all about getting a degree. Our conversation right. has been around like, what what is the requirement on your life right now? What are you supposed to be learning? Go learn to pursue and love obedience. And whatever the outcome of that is, you know, then we're all going to be on board with that. And so it's like, we, we feel, we feel, he feels that God said, go to school right now. So he's in school and he's in the process of learning to love it. And that's, that's created all kinds of like, you know, there's been some successes in there and there's been some failures in there. And it's like, all of that is just part of the journey of coming and saying, here's how I learned to love obedience, even though the circumstance was something I absolutely didn't love. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, I, I would say we've engaged that really well and he's engaged that really well. Um, you know, we learned that over the process of, of encountering stories like Sierra shared. We didn't instantly just know, hey, this is how we're going to handle this situation. We, we, we've built that over years with, um, with our kids. But I think, you know, whether, whether he gets a degree or not is really not at all a goal for us, right. not at all something we're driving towards, but obedience and the journey. These are really great examples. I'm really grateful for, for how you all, how, what you shared and how you shared. Next week, we will be talking about family communication. And I'm excited about this because we're jumping from talking about philosophy to getting into the tools. And I think that's what a lot of parents are here for. And so um, I'm looking forward to talking about family communication. I do think it's worthwhile, and I'm just opening the book here. I think it's worthwhile to pause before we we move forward and just ask yourself some of the questions that are at the end of this of this chapter. How do you define success? How would your child complete the sentence? What my mom and dad want for me is blank. Is it different? Do you think they would say something different than what you say? Um, there's things that we're all pushed and pulled by around us, cultural influences. What pushes you as a parent, as a shaping influence? What makes you tick? What would you say drives your day by day? Do your kids see modeled the same things that, you know, the same things that you're saying with your mouth? If you say, this is what I want my child to be, is that what they're actually seeing in the home? Is that the values that they actually see portrayed? So I think that's a good, a good exercise to go through. And then next week, we're going to talk about how do we communicate those things to our kids? How do we build this in our home? If you're joining us on the Great Prison North America read along, we're going to be reading chapter seven to nine. So I encourage you to read along and look forward to jumping into this next stage. podcast is a production of Prism North America. You can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you access quality podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
To learn more about PRISM, visit us at our website, www.prismnorthamerica.org.